If you would stand with me as we read God's word this morning. The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. In 1 John chapter 4, there is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear, because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. You may be seated. Also, next Sunday morning, uh, something I, it was my fault. I didn't get it to Jonathan this week. I was told to, and I paid the price for that, but uh, I didn't really. Next Sunday morning, the Iwana program is putting on a bake sale. So uh, be ready to uh, support Iwana. Uh, we try to underwrite as much as we can for families, because uh, we know uh, there is an expense for it, but we also don't want anybody not to be here and be involved, because Juan is such a, phenom such a phenomenal program, and uh, um, such a great, it is good to see you. Is that you need it? Yes. Juan mm. is a great program, and uh, it's exciting to see all the kids come out, and uh, so you come on out, uh, you be here next Sunday ready to participate in that bake sale, and a real serious prayer request, it'll be going out later on, on the uh, New Life prayer line. Uh, for those who remember Pam McNelly, Pam and Dave had to move to, uh, move to South Carolina uh, for Pam's job. Uh, Pam is being tested this week. Uh, they're 98% sure she has cancer. Uh, the doctors are. So um, just please pray for Pam. And it's uh, not, one, not that cancer's fun in any way, but it's not one of the fun ones. So uh, please keep her in your prayers. We started this series all in the family and gave you an introduction the last couple weeks. I'm going to continue on and I said last week that the most important relationship in a family is the marriage relationship. And as we go through these messages, as we go through all of these principles, all of this from the Word of God, you may be saying, listen, I'm not married. And, you know, right now it's not, in my, it's not on my radar. It's not something I really am looking at right now. I've got other things in mind. That's great. I mean, that's fine. That's, you're, you, know, you, you, you do what God has called you to do, and you follow the path God is leading you on. But all of these principles we're looking at are principles that will make us better followers of Christ, no, no matter whether you're an individual, whether you're a single parent. And we're going to get to the whole single parenting dynamic and blended families uh, as time goes on, because that is such a, a major part of life today and especially in the church, uh, or I should say, even in the church. So don't just be quick to, to pass these off as, um, as something that is not valuable to you because it is all valuable to each and every one of us. Deborah Folletta said, fix your eyes on Jesus and the plans he has for your life. Look ahead and run after him with all your heart. Then look around. Whoever is kept up with you, marry that person. The idea of that quote, the thought behind that quote is that if you want to have a successful marriage, if you want to build a successful relationship, a successful family, then you need to have someone in your life who has the same passion for Christ that you do. You don't have to be on the same level spiritually. You don't have to have the same educational background spiritually. But you do need to have the same passion for Christ if you want to be that powerful couple that is serving God. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God says that it was not good that man or Adam should be alone. 
This was the first time in the creation process that God said something was not good. If you remember reading through Genesis 1 and 2, you'll read where God said, uh, God, God created the, the dry land, God created the water, God created the, the sky, God created the birds of the, uh, of the air, He created the animals of the field, He created uh, herb yielding seed. <laughs> All these things He created, and He said it's, it is good. At the end of the day, God looked on the work He had created and He said it is good. This is the first time the phrase, it's not good, is used by God in the Bible. And it wasn't a negative comment towards Adam. He wasn't regretting his creation. If you remember, last week we talked about how God paraded the animals in front of Adam. And Adam named all the animals. And no helper was found for him. But here... God says it's not good that man is alone. So in order to rectify the situation, in order to complete his creation, and in order to complete the human relationship, God created woman and declared that she would be Adam's helper. Now, immediately, especially in today's environment, people jump on that word and say, I'm not anybody's helper. I'm not just a helper. I'm not just a cook. I'm not barefoot and pregnant living in the kitchen all the time, right? In fact, today we have, uh, we have women who, there are women in our, ch in our church right now who have amazing careers and they're in a, in, a, in a marriage relationship. Let me explain that word helper to you because it's not what many people think. Don't take offense to that word helper. It doesn't, it isn't used, being used in the sense of woman being less than man or inferior. In fact, God uses the exact same word to describe himself in relationship to humanity. In Psalm 33:20, he calls himself our help and our shield. In Psalm 146:5, he calls himself our help and our hope. In Psalm 70, verse 5, he calls us, he calls himself our help and deliverer. And in Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, he tells us that our help comes from the creator of all things. And the list goes on. So you see that God is not saying that he is subservient to us. God is not saying that he is inferior to us. God is saying that he is the strength in our life. He is the power in our life. He is the helper in our life. He is our source of all things. And I think, ladies, when you see yourself in that light in the marriage relationship, and gentlemen, when you see yourself, because you are, the, the, the idea of that phrase is that there is a partnership. One is helping the other, and both are helping each other. When you see yourself in that light in a marriage relationship, it start, you start to understand what a marriage is truly supposed to be about. It's not one lording themselves over the other. It's two individuals coming together to try to make one thing work. Two individuals coming together trying to support each other and give each other the strength and courage and passion and compassion and aid that they need to get through and to be successful. Aaron was joking with me <laughs> as we were walking up here. I walk with a little bit of a limp now. I've got to have this other hip replaced. And I saw the surgeon this week and he found, he, he told he showed me what the problem was. I don't have any cartilage left in my left hip, but my right, after they did all the surgeries on my right leg, it's now a half inch longer than my left leg. So it's like stepping in a hole all the time. And she joked with me and she said, 
if you keep this up, people are gonna start to think that I'm your medical aide walking you up to the platform. And uh, that may be true pretty soon, I don't know. But, but that's the way it's supposed to be in a marriage. That's the way a relationship is supposed to be. We're to be there for each other. We're to be there to help each other. We're to be, we're to be there to support each other. We are co-equals in the marriage relationship. The point here is that God's plan is that husbands help wives and wives help husbands and they give each other to each other in a godly marriage. And the help that we give will be motivated and will be a mirror of the help that we receive from God. See, that's a godly marriage. And if you remember the last couple of weeks, we talked about where we're coming at from marriage. And we're coming at marriage from a biblical standpoint, a biblical perspective. In other words, God will use our spouses to help, to encourage, to strengthen, and to motivate us in both marriage and life. And that partnership will give each of us the best opportunity to become the best followers of Jesus that we can be. In the marriage relationship, Proverbs 27, 17, I believe, is that, I, I believe that that passage is most important in a marriage relationship. Iron sharpens iron, so one sharpens the other. In a marriage relationship, we are supposed to make each other better. In a marriage relationship, we are supposed to work with each other and work for each other and to help each other become who God has called us to be. Godly husband or a godly wife will be the greatest asset in your walk with Jesus. And that's where we need to start the conversation about Christian marriage. How can we best partner together as husband and wife to build a home of faith, grace, ministry, family, and love in Jesus' name? How can we partner together to build the best home, the best marriage, the best relationship? For those of you who aren't married yet, for those of you who are, um, <laughs> who are maybe contemplating it, those of you who might be in the process, or those of you who might be off in the future. This is what the what we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks, is what the Bible has to say about building a strong, godly marriage and a strong, godly home. Remember the marriage relationship, man, the marriage relationship is the number one most important relationship in your family. I know we invest in our children, and we're supposed to invest in our children. We're supposed to give our children everything we've got. We're supposed to help them out. We're supposed to raise them uh, with, with a passion and a desire to, to help them become the best human beings, the best followers of Christ they can be. Our goal as a parent, first of all, should be to help our children find their way to Jesus. And once they've done that, it's to help them learn how to walk in His way. But there's going to come a point in time when those children are gone from the home. Might be 18 when they go off to college. Might be, I don't know, 35 when they finally move out of the back bedroom. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever it might be, man. You know, tell me about it. My boys, our, our sons, Gabriel and Michael, they don't ever want to leave the house. They don't ever, they say, we're going to, hey, Daddy, we're going to have, that's our bedroom forever. I'm like, no, no, it's not. It's really not. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, you don't tell your kids that, but like, someday you're going to have to move out. And when they do, 
Unfortunately, many marriages today, many Christians today, the idea, the conceptual thought in the minds of many individuals, many married couples today is, I'm stuck with him. I'm stuck with her. And the reason we get to that place is because while we've been raising children, while we've been building a career, while we've been putting money aside and buying a home and doing all the things that couples do, whether you're, whether you're a Christian couple or not, we haven't been investing in that marriage relationship. We haven't been sharpening ourselves. We haven't been making ourselves better. and We haven't been helping our spouse out to become the better person. In our world today, marriage is in crisis, and that includes Christian marriages. When you look at the statistics for marriages today and divorce, they're not defined by Christian marriages versus uh, non-Christian marriages. And now there are some, some studies and some statistics that bear that out, but for the most part, in America, um, family statistics, if you look at the, the US census, family statistics are not broken down by religion, they're broken down by America. <clears throat> Changes in society, changes in attitude, changes in worldview, changes in views of God and the Bible have all combined to put Christian marriage on the endangered species list. Divorce statistics for Christian marriages almost mirror those of non-believing marriages. What are some of the reasons for divorce in America? In 2020, 39% of marriages ended in divorce. That's down 5%, and, and, and people, at, at first that sounds really great. That, marriage, that divorce is down by 5%, but there's a couple things you have to take into consideration. The rate of cohabitation, which is living together without the benefit of marriage, has increased by 5%, so that's just a wash. Those numbers are also affected by the lockdown of America due to COVID-19. Courts are closed, and uh, divorce proceedings can't happen like they used to. But, the downloading of divorce forms and information on do-it-yourself divorce is up in some cases by over 39%. And in fact, most experts in the field expect the divorce rate to spike dramatically once the country is opened back up again fully. Some percentages about marriage and, and and living together. In 2018, 15% of unmarried adults lived with a partner. In 2008, it was 5%. In the 18 to 24 year old age group, 9% lived with an unmarried partner, 7% with a spouse. So in that, in that age group, 18 to 24, more couples live together without being married than actually are married. In 1969, for effect, just 50 years ago, 0.01% of adults between 18 and 24 and 0.02% of adults between 18, uh, 25 and 34 lived with unmarried partners. So you see in the last 50 years, attitudes towards cohabitation have increased dramatically. Remember that because it comes to bear here in just a minute. For women between 18 through 44, 48% lived with a partner unmarried as their first union, while 23% were married as their first union. Married couples have a higher level of stability than cohabitating couples, 54% to 28%. Married couples have a higher level of commitment, which is incredibly important in marriage, than cohabitating couples, 46% to 30%. Now, remember we talked about living together because so many people, and, I, and I, when, I, when people come and talk to me 
about their marriage or their home situation, and they explain, man, listen, I, I don't judge anybody, okay? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here to validate anybody's lifestyle. I'm not here to, to criticize anybody's lifestyle. My desire is to point people towards Jesus. And he will, he will lead you on the path. If you follow him, he'll lead you where he wants you to go. And as you go down that path, he's going to add or subtract to your life the things that he wants to. And it's up to you to follow him. It's not my job to criticize your life. It's not my job to tell you you're in sin. It's not my job to, to, uh, to bust you for the way you live. And it's not my job on the other side to validate your lifestyle. That's not my, that's not my job. That's not my point. But people do talk to me about their lives, and they, they come to me, and I don't usually give, um, give advice. I, I counsel, and I tell people what I might do in a situation. And one of the reasons that people give, from, give to me all the time for living together is I want to take it for a test drive, like marriage is a new car. Or we want to make sure we're compatible. Okay, and we're sure that if we live together first, and find out that we're compatible, we'll be more successful in our marriage. And that's been the reasoning for many, many years. In fact, couples who live together before marriage are 33% more likely to divorce than couples who don't live together. Those are just cold, hard statistics. What are some reasons for divorce? Now, these, these percentages will obviously equal more than 100%. There are sometimes many different reasons in the same situation for divorce. 73% cited a lack of commitment to the marriage. 56% say they argue too much. 55% say infidelity. 46% say they married too young. 45% cite unrealistic expectations. 44% cite a lack of equality in the relationship. Gentlemen, I would challenge you to pay attention to that statistic. 44% say inequality in marriage, and that usually comes from the wife. I would challenge you to pay attention to that statistic. Her life, and her desires, and her wants, and her needs are just as important as yours. In fact, to you as the man, they need to be more important. We're going to talk about that a little bit. 41% say a lack of preparation for marriage was a reason. 36% cited financial problems. 34% cited substance abuse. 25% cited domestic violence or physical abuse. 17% cite a lack of family support. And 13% say religious differences played a major part in the reason their marriage ended in divorce. <clears throat> Tanya Woolever said, Christians need to identify the thief of their peace joy and fulfillment in life, and especially in their most important relationship, marriage. Folks, I would challenge you, in your marriage or outside of your marriage, in your life, find out what's robbing you of your joy. Find out what's robbing you of peace in your life. Find out what's robbing you of happiness and fulfillment. Listen, I know always working towards something. We're always moving forward. That's the way we've been designed by God, to desire better. In fact, in Hebrews, the Bible says we now desire a better country, a heavenly, where God is not ashamed to be called our God. He's prepared for us a city. 
And the the book of Hebrews, one of the major themes throughout the book of Hebrews is better than. Jesus is better than. He's better than the angels. He's better than the law. He's better than humanity. He's better than our own thought processes. So we're always looking for better than, and that should be a desire in our heart, to be better than we were yesterday. But there are things in our lives that rob us of peace and joy, and sometimes those things are exactly what we're using to try to become better. And they lack us of, they, they rob us of intimacy in a marriage. They rob us of fulfillment in a marriage. They rob us of joy and happiness in a marriage. And they rob us of all those things in our lives. It is incumbent upon us and incredibly important upon, for us as believers that we identify those things that rob us of our joy. Jesus, I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. Jesus doesn't want you to be sad. He doesn't want you to be unhappy. He doesn't want you to dread your life. He doesn't want you to to, uh, go through every day dreading the thought of living another moment. He wants you to experience joy and peace and happiness and fulfillment, whether you're a single individual or whether you're a married couple, and especially in a marriage. Friedrich Buckner said, a marriage made in heaven is one where a man and a woman become more richly themselves together then the chances are either of them could have ever imagined to become alone. Remember the movie Jerry Maguire, some of you who are younger, that might be an old one, you might have to watch it on Netflix. (laughs) Or or, uh, if you need to find it, you can look it up on the Google and you you can find it somewhere. But Jerry Maguire, at the end of it, Renee Zellweger looks at Tom Cruise and she says, you complete me. Well, that's what a marriage is about, right? Each person completing the other. Each person filling the void in our lives that we know is there that will make us the better person. Each person bringing to a marriage, bringing to a relationship what is necessary to cause that home to be strong and powerful, and especially a Christian home, a godly home, one, one, one where both individuals in the marriage come together and form a union that is strong and powerful and moves forward, one where each fills the void that the other needs filled. A good marriage isn't something you find, it's something you make, according to Gary L. Thomas. The bottom line is this. You don't have a fighting chance unless you're willing to fight. In a marriage, you don't have a fighting chance unless you're willing to fight. If you've gone into marriage thinking it's just going to be roses and lollipops all day long, you're just not living in the real world. Because marriage is, is a struggle. Marriage is a fight. Marriage sometimes can be a battlefield and not with each other. So you have to understand. Marriage isn't always a fight between each other. Sometimes marriage is a fight, and more times than not, marriage is a fight with what is going on in society. This past year, I don't even want to ask how many have struggled being locked down. Listen, I know, man, listen, you marry a person because you want to be with them, and I love my children. I love my, my two youngest boys who still live at home. I love them to no end. They are wonderful little boys. I just, I love, I love the stuffing out of them. But they annoy me. <sighs> my goodness. 
They get on my last nerve. And when they get on my last nerve, when they jump off that last nerve, my boys go around looking for nerves to bring home so they can get on those nerves for me. <laughs> Telling you, man, it's a battle. And sometimes my wife and I feel like Aaron and I sometimes have to armor up because the assault is on. And it is them against us. Those little nine-year-old attitudes. <clears throat> so it's not always a war between the couple. Many times it's a war with what's going on in our lives. And if we're not careful, we will allow what's going on out there, and we'll allow, what's being we'll allow what is attacking us to divide us, which is exactly what Satan wants to do in a godly marriage. Divide us and turn us against each other. Remember what Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand? But you remember the Old Testament where it says two are better than one. Because if one falls, the other can be there to lift him up. If one gets cold, the other can be there to make him warm. And then you throw Jesus into the mix, you throw God into the mix, and a three-cord strand is not easily broken. Godly marriage, man, it's where it's at. If you want to be successful, if you want to be a vital, powerful part of raising your children, if you want to have a godly home, if you want to be a powerful part of your local church and reach out to your community and make a difference in this world for Christ, as a married couple, it's all about a godly marriage. What makes a solid marriage? What's the foundation of a godly biblical home? That's what we're going to find out. And over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at four pillars that will uphold a strong Christian marriage and what each partner can do to make those pillars powerful. The first pillar we're going to look at today is the pillar of personal faith. The pillar of personal faith. Well, that's odd. Talking about a marriage, we're talking about personal faith. The pillar of personal faith, exactly. You see, if you are not right with God in your own walk, if you're not striving to be a solid follower of Jesus yourself, then you're never going to be the assistance and the aid and the helper that your, 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 uh, your spouse needs you to be in their lives. So the most important thing I believe when we start talking about godly Christian marriages is that we each individually have a personal, strong personal pillar of faith in our lives. Well, what qualities make up this pillar? The first one is this, a strong personal commitment to the Bible. And this is where we lose people today because the Bible is under assault. Biblical principles are looked at as suggestions today rather than teachings of Jesus Christ. Looking at the Word of God as the Word of God, as the whole Word of God, as the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God is looked down upon. I read articles, I, I subscribe to several different websites and I get emails every day. And Erin, she puts up with me. I, during the pandemic, I moved my, my office into the house and I work at the dining room table and while she's doing her schoolwork, um, I'll, the boys are finally back in school. So we're, I'm reading articles and I'm like arguing with my computer over these articles. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I, can you, Aaron, can you believe it? And, I'll, and, and she just kind of, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah, sure, John, great, awesome. You're right. Can I get back to my work now? 
<laughs> and it's amazing to me how many people who claim to be evangelicals, who claim to be followers of Christ, who claim to be truth seekers, denigrate the Bible and lower it and say it's not what it says it is. And it's not 100% true. And it's not infallible. And it's not inerrant. And it doesn't really mean what it says. It's amazing to me. And God help you if you stand up against them, if you, if you challenge them, because now you're hateful. Now you're a hater. Now you're narrow-minded. Now you're this, now you're that. I used to listen to my dad preach, and he, my, dad, my dad comes to the generation where they'd say, I, my mind is as narrow as this book, as the Bible, right? I'm as narrow-minded as the Bible. And I'd think, yeah, okay. Now I want to say that. I'm as narrow-minded as the Bible. You want to call me narrow-minded, but well, let's talk Bible. Let's talk biblical truth. And let's take it for what it is. Listen, if, if you're not going to take the Bible as 100% truth, then don't take it at all. Because it will, help, it will not give you the help you need. You have got to have a personal commitment to the Bible. If you want to make your marriage work, if you want to make your godly marriage work, if you want to make your home a strong Christian home, if you want your personal life to be powerful for Jesus Christ, then you've got to look at this Word of God as the Word of God, as exactly what it claims itself to be. There are a lot of commitments that are made, a lot of statements that are made in Genesis 1, 26 through 27. Now, understand, when we're talking about, now, when we talk about a personal commitment to the Bible, we talk, you know, we, the things that come up are, are solid doctrine and, and, and strong belief systems and things like that. I want to take you down a road here in marriage that I believe is incredibly important for us to understand as a teaching of the Bible. In, one, in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, the Bible says that God created humanity, created a male and female, and created them in his own image. In Genesis 2, 18, as we've alluded to already, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So God created humanity. He created man and woman. He said his creation was good. And he created woman and man to be helpers for each other, partners in a relationship. And in James 1.17, it says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Gentlemen, your wife is a gift to you from God. Ladies, your husband is a gift to you from God. You need to see it that way. They're not an anchor. They're not a ball and chain. They're a gift from God, a good and perfect gift that God has given to you. You know, people change over time. Things change over time. Attitudes change over time. And the one thing I hear from, from individuals that go through divorce or going through struggles in a marriage. Well, we've just grown apart. Let me stop you right there. Whose fault is that? Whose fault is that? Erin is going through college right now. She is, she'll graduate in August with her bachelor's degree in Christian ministry. 
And I loved sitting down and talking with her. Uh, I loved, she, she had to do, she had a class on leadership and she had to interview Melvin Edwards. And uh, it, I loved, I, I don't know if you know, I was listening to that, uh, I was listening to that interview. And uh, I loved that. And I, I, I sat down and I, I'm kind of her editor or her, I, I, yeah, I, I help her uh, word her papers and, and uh, we sit down and we throw ideas back and forth. She's studying what I've not only studied and have my degree in, but what I've done for several decades in ministry. And I could look at that and say, you know what, Aaron? I'm, I've done that. I've been there. That's it. I don't want to go back. I've already, I've already passed, I passed my, I got my, my diploma years and years and years ago. I don't want to do that, but you know what? It's important to her. And I, I enjoy helping her in her class. And although I'm getting, understand how I'm saying this, I'm not getting a benefit, I'm not getting a degree out of it. I'm choosing to see this as a way I'm getting an enormous benefit out of it. Not only is she, is her college and her college class, she's in one right now, Christian ethics, and it drives her crazy. She, Christian ethics and church history. And uh, we have that in common because church history drove me crazy too. But I'm looking at it from this perspective. It's helping me, it's reminding me, it's, it's undergirding all the learning I've had and reminding me of things I've forgotten. But it's also helping me to sharpen my mentoring skills. Because folks, if you can mentor your spouse, and I, I don't say this jokingly, I say this honestly, if you can mentor your spouse, you can just about mentor anybody. Because your spouse knows you better than anybody else. Your spouse knows your flaws, knows your faults, knows what drives you. I, I, when we eat dinner, if my fork slides off my tooth, there's a reason we don't have sharp knives at the table. Because if we had a butcher knife next to Aaron, I'd, I think my hand would be impaled in the table. And that would be fortunate. This drives you crazy. But I, I want to see her grow in her faith. I want to invest in her. So I will be a part of her education. Now, Aaron, on the other hand, looks at the gym and calls it the physical education facility. She sees it as a chore, as a place that she never wants to go near. I love the gym. I love going to the gym. I love working out. Aaron is not a big baseball fan. I, I'm true blue through and through. Cut me, I bleed Dodger blue. Aaron not only tolerates, but she wears Dodger's gear. It's not exactly what she likes, it's not the passion of her heart, but she supports me in that. And I support her in her education. And we take an interest in each other and the things that each other likes so that we can grow together. While she's growing in her education, I'm growing in her education. While I'm celebrating a World Series title, she's celebrating a World Series title. Not because it's the number one thing on our list of things to do, 
but because it's important to the most important person in our lives. Therefore, we're going to invest in each other. I do those things because I know that Aaron is a perfect gift from God to my life. When I wasn't looking for anything, when I had said, enough is enough, I've had enough, I'm not going to get married again, I don't want to, I'll just live and I'll serve God and I just don't want to. I wasn't looking. God brought Aaron into my life and I fought. I fought against it. Every time we'd talk, we'd go out to lunch. She'd be part of the lunch group that would go out after church. So years ago, I'd be as discouraging as possible. <laughs> I really would be. Because I, 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 I didn't want, I didn't want a relationship. But something changed one day. And we were out to lunch. And a conversation was going on and we were, we were starting to have a good conversation. And I was like, well, she's interesting. And that conversation was really good. And then somebody that was there decided they wanted to co-opt my time and cut everybody else out and basically dismissed everybody from the lunch table so that I could talk with this couple. And I thought that was kind of rude because I was having a great conversation. And as I left that lunch, it bugged me. And I was thinking, man, I really enjoyed my time talking with Aaron. So I picked up my phone and I gave her a phone call and I said, I felt like our conversation didn't quite finish. Would you like to go get coffee with me? And the rest is history. You see, I saw this person that God brought into my life as a special gift. Someone that, while I wasn't looking for it, God gave them to me to fill something in my life that needed to be filled. And if I see my wife continue to see her 10 years later as a special gift from God, then it will motivate me to continue to invest in that marriage, in that relationship. Even though I drive her crazy, and not in a good way. I will still invest in her, and I'll still invest in us, because I know that God has given us something very special. And then I look at what my life has been over these last 10 years, and I have two amazing sons in my life that I wouldn't trade for the world. Gabriel and Michael are amazing little boys. I love them to death. That wouldn't be, my, my life would not be what it is right now had it not been for the gift that God gave me of Aaron. Gentlemen and ladies, can you say that about your spouse? Can you say that what God gave you in that relationship is a gift? a special gift that, yes, as sappy as it sounds, completes you, fulfills you, and brings something to your life that would not be there without them. If so, invest in that relationship. 
Feed that relationship. Build that relationship. Because that is what will make a strong marriage. And strong marriages will make a strong church. And a strong church will reach its community for Jesus Christ. And strong marriages will build strong children. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For no one can lay any foundation other than that which has been laid. The foundation is Jesus Christ. The second part of that pillar of personal faith is this, a godly respect for your spouse. A godly respect for your spouse. They, all after all, they are, after all, created in God's image. If nothing else, respect that. Gentlemen, you need to understand this about your wives, about anybody, period, especially about your wives. Respect is empowering and respect is validating. And you know those are very, very uh, politically correct sounding terms, but they are spot on when it comes to marriage. And ladies, it's the same for men. Your husband needs to know that you respect him. Respect him as a man. I was raised, and I say this quite often, I was raised by a man's man. My dad is sitting in the back here, and my dad is 87 years old now. My dad, when he was, when he was in the Navy, there was nobody like my dad. My dad was, he was something else, man. He was something else. He was a man's man. And my dad was a man to be feared. I, I, we would go in the summertime, my mom was working for the state of Maryland, and in the summertime, my dad was, was still in the Navy. We sta he was stationed in Bainbridge, Maryland. We'd go to Bainbridge, and we'd go hang out at the pool all day. Go on to the Navy base, and we'd hang out at the pool all day. Go off the high dive. Good stuff. Have my brother, my older brother, dunk me in the deep end just to torture me. I'm now stronger than my brother, and I'd love to dunk him in the deep end, but it just doesn't matter anymore. And I would watch my dad, when we'd go, before the pool would open, we'd go into my father's office. And I would see my father, who had all these stripes on his sleeve, I'd see people come up to him and say, Chief, is this okay? Chief, is this all right? Chief, what do we do here? I saw my dad as an important man, a man with respect, a man with power, both physically and at work. And I saw my dad as a disciplinarian. You know, I also saw my dad as a man who could be tamed by his wife. My mom, my my short, diminutive, sweet-spirited, loving, sainted mother could bring my dad to heal like nobody else. It was amazing. And you know why that is? Because my mother and father respected each other. My dad respected my mom as a woman of power, as a woman of character, as a woman of integrity, as the gift that God gave him. They've been married 750 years now. <laughs> Unbelievable. And this man 
this fearsome, powerful man would be brought to bear by this tiny lady because he respected her. And my mom loved my dad. And my mom would bring my father coffee. And my mom would make my dad popcorn. And my mom would watch all in the family. Not necessarily because those are the things she wanted to do, but because she respected my dad. And she loved my dad. And now that they've been married over 60 years, that respect has built a relationship that is enduring and lasting and still today is one of the most amazing love stories you'll ever hear in your life. And it was built on respect, mutual respect. Gentlemen, you want your wife to love you? You want your, you want your wife to follow your dream? You want your wife to invest in your marriage? Respect her for who she is. Ladies, you want your husband to be a man? You want your husband to be a good man? You want your husband to honor you and to honor your marriage and to stay at home and not go carousing and not want to hang with the boys instead of you? Then respect your husband. Let me tell you something, ladies. The worst thing you can do in this world, in your marriage, is to emasculate your husband. It's the worst thing you can do. Listen, I embarrass Erin to no end when we go out into public. She used to work at United Healthcare. And there were some hound dogs at United Healthcare, man. There were some young bucks that were just on the prowl. And Erin was, she's a good looking woman. She's younger than me, she's a lot younger than me. She's a pretty woman. And I look like I just stepped out of prison. And I'd go there, I'd surprise her at lunchtime, go down and, and uh, I'd say, hey, I'm down, I'm, down on the main, I'm down on the street here, I'm parking, you wanna have some lunch? Oh, yes, yes, that's great. So I'd go up and I'd meet her on the 13th floor, right? 14th floor, something like that, wherever she was, down in one Hartford place. And I'd see all these young bucks, and I'd see them look at her. And when we'd walk to the, when we'd walk to the lunch place, I'd see them give, their, give her looks. And I'm that guy. I'll stop, I'll turn around, I'll look you in the eye and say, you got a problem? Oh, oh wait, wait. this is my wife. She's not in the market. I'll tell them this, I'll ask her. She's not yours, she's not for you. You look at my wife again like this, you're gonna find yourself on two stories down. I'm gonna throw you over this railing. You respect my wife. You don't talk to my wife, you don't treat my wife like that. You don't even look at my wife that way. Now, it embarrasses her to no end, no doubt about it. But she knows that I love her, and she knows that I'll defend her, and she knows that I respect her for being the woman that she is. And I know that she respects me in the same way. Respect levels the playing field. 
Romans 12.10 says, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Take the lead. In other words, out-honor each other in your marriage. Out-honor each other. Each one of you is as important to the marriage as the other. You understand that? Your goals, your dreams, your desires, they're both equally important. Sometimes the wife's perspective and the wife's dreams have to, take, have to take the lead, and sometimes the husbands do, and that's when we support each other. But they are both co-equal with each other. And when you see it that way, when you respect each other and each other's desires, and when you try to outdo each other in honoring each other, you will build a strong, solid foundation and relationship in marriage. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, do, not, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Ephesians 5, to sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. And those commands are interchangeable. Husbands, you're to love your wife, and the wife, you're to respect your husband. Wives, you're to love your husbands, and husbands, you're to respect your wives. You wonder why you guys, you wonder why you're fighting all the time? You wonder why you don't want to be around each other? You know why you annoy each other? Because you don't respect each other. Because you're always trying to be number one. Because you, you fight over stupid stuff like the remote. Right? Listen, I gotta tell you something, man. I love to watch boxing. I love it. I'm not a UFC guy. I, it's just, that's a little too brutal for me. But I love boxing. And I know that sounds kind of weird, but I love to watch boxing. I love to watch football. I love, on Sunday afternoon, when I get home from church, I love to put on the, not the NFL Network, because I'm a Rams fan, the Rams are never usually on TV, it's because they're pretty bad and nobody wants to watch them. <laughs> but I'll put on um, uh, Red Zone, NFL Red Zone, and Red Zone goes from game to game to game, right? And I, I love it. It drives Aaron crazy. You know what I do to, to appease her sometimes? I watch Hallmark movies. <laughs> At Christmas time, I watch Hallmark movies. <laughs> but we do that. And she'll sit down occasionally and watch football for a little while. But we do that to respect each other. We do that to make sure that each other knows we care about what the other one wants in our relationship. First Peter 3, 7 says, husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. And let's clear something up. The weaker partner there, that's talking physically. That's it. That's a talk, that's a, that, that is a statement of physical ability. It's not a statement of, of anything else, of mental acuity. It's not a statement of, of uh, anything, spiritual power, nothing. It is a simple statement 
of physical ability. And that's physiological. Men are stronger than women physically. If you can't accept that, then you just can't accept the truth of science, I guess, because that's just a truthful statement. So that's not what, it's not saying women are weaker as individuals than men, it's just saying physically, husbands, protect your wives. And the third part of this pillar is this, and one that I really believe that uh, needs to be understood, unwavering honesty. Little white, there is no such thing as a little white lie. There's no such thing as an innocent lie. As much as it hurts, as much as it could be painful, honesty is always the best policy. Honesty is a thoughtful choice that we each make. Do I want to do what's right or do I want to do what's wrong? There is no middle ground. Do I want to do what's right or do I want to do what's wrong? Honesty. 2 Corinthians 8.21 says, Indeed, we are giving careful thought to do what is right, not only before the Lord, but also before people. You know what that means? That means that we are to be honest in our relationships in marriage the same way, and we're to give that the same, uh, the, the, an equal footing as honesty in our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's powerful. But the honesty that I bring to my marriage, my marriage relationship, is the same level of honesty that I need to bring to my relationship with Jesus Christ. It's as important. <clears throat> honesty is an investment in your marriage. I think if you see it as an investment, it brings it to a different level. Honesty is an investment in your marriage. What, hey, hey class, what does honesty Breed trust. Well, you don't trust me. <laughs> You're not honest with me. Every time I ask you a question, you lie to me. It's one thing we're teaching our boys right now, our nine-year-old boys. They try to get away with everything. Anybody have those children? Try to get away with stuff. That's, what, that's part of being a kid. See what you can get away with. And I've, I, I sit the boys down, and I'm much more blunt this time around than I was with my three oldest. I just say, hey, listen, guys, you've got to understand this. You want privileges. You want mom to, uh, to let you do things. You want mom to trust you. You've got to be honest. Stop, stop lying. Stop trying, to, stop trying to get around the issue. Just be honest. And those, those principles of honesty that we're teaching them now are going to bear fruit for them later on in life. And listen, as tough as it may be, you need to be honest in your marriage. You need to be honest with your spouse. Nothing is ever gained from telling a lie. Colossians 3, 9, and 10 say, says, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. Let me pull something out of there that we need to understand. Listen, your marriage may have been and may be suffering because of a lack of trust right now and a lack of honesty. But this verse right here tells us, and your life may be struggling outside of a marriage relationship. Maybe you in your own personal life might be struggling because of a lack of honesty with yourself or a lack of honesty with others. 
The Bible tells us here in Colossians that it is possible to take off the old self and to put the new self on and to start all over again. And ladies and gentlemen, in your marriage relationship, your spouse may have been dishonest with you and may have, not, may have done everything possible to destroy your trust. But if they come back to you apologetically and ask for a second chance or a third chance or a fourth chance, you need to give them that. And you need to give them the opportunity to put on the new self and to start building that trust. And if you want that trust, you need to be honest. Secrets and lies damage our relationships, sometimes irreparably. Secrets and lies damage our relationships and sometimes irreparably. Proverbs 12, says, lying lips are detestable to the Lord, but faithful people are his delight. There's a hard truth in every relationship. Every time you lie, it brings you a little closer to goodbye. Every time you lie, it brings you a little closer to goodbye. And lastly, integrity breeds security in a relationship. Unwavering honesty breeds integrity, and integrity breeds security in a relationship. Can your wife trust you when you say you're just going to the gym for a couple hours? Can she trust that that's where, she, that's where you're going to be? Or is she going to grab the car keys and go check it out because she can't trust you? Listen, if you have to hide it from your spouse, you shouldn't be doing it. You have to hide it from your spouse, you shouldn't be doing it. Proverbs 10, verse 9 says, The one who lives with integrity lives securely, but whoever perverts his way will be found out. Proverbs eleven three says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the perversity of the treacherous destroys them. Unwavering honesty. Godly respect. Strong commitment to the Bible. These three combine to build a strong pillar of personal faith in your life. A strong personal dependence on Jesus Christ. A strong personal dependence on your faith in Him for success in life. And if you will make, a strong, if you will make personal faith a strong pillar in your life, then God will use that to make your marriage strong. God will use that to make your life strong. God will use that to make your relationships strong. I trust that your marriage relationships or your relationships period or your life in general is worth enough to you, is valuable enough to you for you to take these biblical principles and apply them to your spirit so that that personal, that personal pillar of faith will be without question a building block and a foundational principle in your life. Would you pray with me? Father, <laughs> we thank you so much for the privilege of being today, here today in your house. Lord, both services have been great. It's been awesome to see people come out. It's been awesome to see, uh, see what you've done and what you're doing in lives. Lord, we thank you so much for your strength and your compassion and your love, things that we don't deserve, yet gifts that you choose to give us. Lord, I pray that as we look at our marriages, as we look at our relationships, period, Father, that we will respect them enough and desire goodness enough in them that we will be willing to work on them and put principles into action 
that caused them to grow and be strong. Lord, I pray for each and every person here today, each and every person is watching us on Facebook or YouTube, God, that you'll bless their hearts and their lives. Lord, may we have heard, may, may we have heard something this morning that will challenge us to dig into ourselves and be better. Bless us as we go from here today. May we honor you in all things. In your precious holy name we pray, amen.